Isaiah chapter 35. And I believe that what we find in this chapter will be a blessing to many this morning. And I trust that it will help and encourage many today. We were able to visit many folks this week and pray with many people and talk with many people on the telephone and visit with some on their doorstep. Able to speak of the things of God. And the more I speak with people during this time, the one thing I'm beginning to see common amongst a lot of God's people. And it seems that a lot of God's people today are feeling very discouraged, are feeling very downcast. And I hope with God's help, there might be a bit of encouragement in this passage of scripture today. I want you to notice in our text some very interesting words. The Bible says in verse number one, the wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. And the desert shall rejoice. Three very interesting words at the very beginning there. The wilderness, the solitary place, the desert. The wilderness has the idea, the connotation of an uninhabited place. A place where there's no sign of life. And spiritually speaking, there are a lot of God's people who feel as if there's not much evidence of any spiritual life in them today. The solitary place, literally a wasteland, a dry land, a spiritually dry place. And if you think about that word solitary, meaning alone, a lot of God's people are very lonely these days. Do you know that you could be in a crowd of people and still feel very alone? You can live in a home with a number of different people and still feel very alone. I wonder this morning if you feel as if your spiritual life has gone very dry. I wonder if you're feeling lonely. The desert, a sterile land, a place where there is no fruit, no growth, and there's no hope of producing fruit. And I think there are many of God's people who feel as if right now they are walking and living in a desert, dry land, looking around and all seems dark and all seems fruitless and all seems spiritually dry and they're thinking, asking themselves, what happened? Once they felt so alive and felt like they were really growing in leaps and bounds and they felt so joyful and so refreshed and today they feel as if they're walking by themselves through the desert. Do you feel like this today? Sometimes we feel this way and don't even know why. Sometimes we feel down and discouraged and we can't even put our finger on it. Something happens to the soul who spends time in the wilderness. Something happens 
the longer you spend time in that state of dryness and desert place where there's no apparent growth, something happens. In fact, you find in verse number three, uh, weak hands and feeble knees. And in verse four, fearful hearts. The longer you find yourself in the wilderness, the longer we are in a solitary place, the weaker our hands become. Weak hands have the idea that you just can't work. You may want to work, but you can't. Feeble knees, you can't even walk. A fearful heart, you can't, you can't wait on God. You, you're finding it hard to pray and finding it hard to trust God, weak hands, there's no drive to do anything for God like there once was. And, and feeble knees, there's no direction. You don't even know where to go. And even if you wanted to go, you, can't, you can't, seem to, can't seem to serve the Lord like you used to. And a fearful heart, you've lost faith. The longer we stay in the wilderness, the weaker our hands become. The longer we find ourselves in a desert, solitary place, the more feeble our knees and more fearful our heart becomes. Let's be honest, nobody, nobody wants to be in the desert. Nobody, nobody wants to be spiritually dry. Nobody wants to be in a place where they can't hear God's voice and they, and they can't see any green growth. Nobody wants to be there. But the truth is, the longer you're there, the more it affects your soul. In fact, it goes on in our text in verse number 5 and 6 and talks about blind people who can't see. You know, the longer we find ourselves in the wilderness, the, then the less we seem to be able to see. The less vision we have, the less clarity we have, we, the longer we're in the desert, the, the longer we're in that dry spot. The Bible speaks about deaf ears in that text, in this text here. The longer we're there, we, we seem to hear God's voice less and less. And then it talks about lame feet, people who can't walk and dumb. And, and the longer you're there, you ever, been here, you ever been here before? The longer you're there, you, you can't seem to praise him. Have you been there? In the wilderness? Oh, your hands are weak and your knees are feeble and your heart is fearful and very soon your eyes become blinded. They seem to be getting dimmer and dimmer. The light that you once saw and beheld seems to be getting dimmer and dimmer in your ears. You once heard God's voice so clearly. I spoke with a woman last night and, and a godly woman, no doubt about it, but she said, My, I'm not the same woman I used to be. I'm not, I, I can't hear his voice like I used to hear it. She said, I used to be able to feel as if he was right there with me, and I used to be able to feel as if he was holding my hand, but now I feel as if he's miles away. This is where I think many of God's people have found themselves today. Does this describe you? But can I tell you this morning, there is hope. There is hope. 
It may feel dry and you may feel in a very dark place and you may not have any direction and you may not know what to do, but there is hope. There's good news. In fact, one of my favorite verses in all of Isaiah is found there in verse number six. Look at the end of verse number six. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. If there's a title for this sermon, for this message, I think it would be appropriate to put streams in the desert. Streams in the desert. Go back to verse number one because this is a joyful chapter. Although it speaks about the reality of many of God's people, it is still a joyful chapter because in verse number one, the wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad. That place of wilderness, of dryness, of no fruitfulness shall be glad for them, for God's people. Now how is that even possible? How is it even possible that the place of lifelessness, the place of drought, the place of wasteland and dry lands, the state of fruitlessness, how on earth can that be glad? And how can the desert, it says there in verse number one, the desert shall rejoice and blossom like a rose where it was once impossible where it was once physically impossible, humanly impossible, scientifically impossible, there, there came streams in the desert. Where it was impossible with man, it was very possible with God. And the Bible says, in verse number two, it shall blossom abundantly. That dry and weary land that you're in right now, that desert that you feel as if you can't get out of and there's no signs of water, no signs of greenery, no signs of fruit, no signs of hope. It shall blossom abundantly. Not just a little bit. Not just one little green pitiful looking shrub, it will blossom flowers abundantly. It may look like it's never gonna happen, but can I tell you this morning, hold on tight, because it will blossom. It may look like an impossibility that's six billion years away from you, but you hold on tight, because it will happen. Your desert will bear fruit. One of the most encouraging things about every valley that we walk through as children of God is that that valley has the potential of bringing forth great fruit. Has the potential of bringing forth great fruit. And the scriptures say it will rejoice. The desert will rejoice. That wilderness place will rejoice. It will rejoice with joy, even with joy and singing. You can't even speak, the Bible says, that the dumb, you can't even speak, 
The people, the ones who can't even speak, who can't even pray and can't even rejoice, they'll burst forth one day, their tongues will be loosed, and they'll rejoice with singing, the scriptures say. And look what else. I love this. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it, the excellency of Carmel and Sharon. Now I want you to think about this for a second. Lebanon, Carmel, and Sharon are three mountains. We're talking about being in the wilderness, talking about being in the desert, talking about being in the valley as low as you could possibly get when you couldn't go any lower. All of a sudden, the Bible says, the glory of three mountains will be given to you. The glory of Lebanon. Well, well, Lebanon was a glorious mountain because of its cedars. The cedars of Lebanon signified strength and stature and majesty. The majesty of Lebanon will be given to you. And the excellency of Carmel. Well, Carmel was a beautiful wooded mountain known for its fruitfulness. Well, you're in a desert right now and you can't even see one leaf. Very, very soon, the majesty of Lebanon will be given you and the fruitfulness of Carmel will be given you. It goes on. The excellency of Sharon, a pleasant mountain with beautiful pastures. Three mountains that represent majesty, beauty, and fertility. You've been living in a desert where there's no growth at all, no fruitfulness at all, no beauty at all. But you hold on tight because very soon the glory of Lebanon will be given unto you. The majesty of Lebanon, the beauty of Carmel, and the fertility of Sharon. These three mountains will be granted unto you. Your valley and your desert place shall be turned into a fruitful mountain. It's interesting to me. You know, the world often looks like a fruitful place while the children of the living God look like barren people, don't they? It's, very, it's interesting to me. Throughout the pages of history, it seems as if the world has been prospering and God's people have been suffering. It seems like that, doesn't it? And that seems to be the pattern. But there's coming a day when all of that will change. In fact, the last chapter... Isaiah chapter 34, just look at it with me briefly, get a little glimpse of it. Because these, Isaiah is prophesying about end times events. Isaiah is prophesying about latter days. He's also prophesying about immediate, immediate things. He's talking about the judgment of the Edomites in, in Isaiah chapter 34. But he's also prophesying about the judgment of the world. Look at it with me. Isaiah 34, come near ye nations to hear and hearken ye people. Let the earth hear and all that is therein, the world and all things that come forth of it. For the indignation of the Lord is upon all nations and his fury is upon all their armies. He hath utterly destroyed them. He hath delivered them to the slaughter. 
their slain also shall be cast out, and their stink shall come up out of their carcasses, and the mountains shall be melted with their blood, and all the hosts of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll, and all their hosts shall fall down as the leaf falleth off from the vine, and as a falling fig from the fig tree. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Behold, it shall come down upon Idumea, that is Edom, and upon the people of my curse to judgment. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is made fat with fatness and with the blood of lambs and goats and with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord hath a sacrifice in Basra and a great slaughter in the land of Idumea. And the unicorn shall come down with them, and the bullocks with the bulls, and their land shall be soaked with blood, and their dust made fat with fatness. For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance, and the year of recompense for the controversy of Zion. And the streams thereof shall be turned into pitch, and the dust thereof into brimstone, and the land thereof shall become burning pitch. It shall not be quenched night nor day. The smoke thereof shall go up forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. And up until that point, the nations of the Lord, of the world, appear to be prosperous. Up until that point, the nations of all the earth appear to be fruitful and appear to be in control. But in that day of the Lord's vengeance, in that day shall all things change. Those who think themselves to be prospering today and fruitful today will find themselves to be utterly consumed by the wrath of God. And those of us, God's children, who feel as if all hope is gone, we shall be filled with hope. Now this is chapter 35, our precious promises, not just for the return of Christ and for our future time with the Savior, but it's also a precious promise for now throughout all the ages that we might walk with our Savior, that we might know a blessing from God, a fruitfulness from his presence. And I want to encourage you today, look at this text with me please. If you would, verse number 35, at the end of verse number 2, we, they shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. So let me encourage you, in this day that you are downcast and discouraged and you feel as if you're in the wilderness, a solitary place in a desert, be encouraged because we shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. So therefore, let's have some encouragement and instruction here. In verse number three, strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees and say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not, behold, your God will come. We've got a job to do today. I know you feel as if you're in a desert. I know you feel alone. And I know you feel as if there's no fruit and there's no hope. But listen, we've got to pull together as God's people and help one another through this time. And here's how we do it. Strengthen the weak hands. 
Find a weak brother and strengthen them, encourage them, edify them. Confirm the feeble knees, build it up. You find a brother that can't hardly walk properly, instead of tearing them down, build them up. Strengthen them. This is not a day to pick up stones and cast them at our brothers who are stumbling and falling. It's a time to help one another. It's a time to encourage one another. Hebrews chapter 10 has long been quoted, but I haven't heard it much these days. It used to be quoted all the time. You used to hear a preacher quoted all the time. Back when churches would be filled and people would be coming to the meeting house on a weekly basis, if somebody didn't come up or the, if the chapel wasn't as full as the minister wanted it to be, you'd hear him quote this verse, forsake not the gathering of the saints. But I haven't heard it lately, have you? In a day of wilderness and desert, in a day when people are alone in a solitary place, we must, in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 24, look at it. Let us consider one another. We've got to think about one another. Consider one another. To provoke, look what it says. To provoke unto love. Can I tell you, it's not enough just to think about your brother or sister. It's not enough just to think about him. We must provoke one another. You know what that word means? Well, we know what it means in the negative, don't we? If you have children or you've ever had children, you know exactly what it means. Or if, you, if, you've, if you've had a little fuss, a little tussle with your husband or your wife, you know exactly what it means. You provoke someone. And uh, there's a command, fathers, provoke not your children unto wrath. Well, that tends to be the thing that normally happens is that we usually, humanity provokes one another to do wrong. You pick at one another and you pick and you pick and you pick and you nag and you nag and you nag. And you know what happens when you keep picking and picking and picking and you keep nagging and nagging and nagging? Then what you're doing is you finally you provoke them and they snap and they retaliate. Well, you've provoked them. But the scriptures say, no, no, no. That's not the kind of provoking we should be doing. The kind of provoking we should be doing is the provoking unto love. The kind of picking and the kind of nagging is one that should cause a response of love. That's what we need to do. Instead of pick, pick, pick and nag, 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 we ought to be love, love, love. And the more you love and the more you show love and demonstrate love and the more you consider one another and the more patient you are with one another and the more caring you are with one another, guess what's going to happen? You will provoke that brother and that sister to do the same. You can't pick and nag and expect all of a sudden through your picking and nagging that they're going to be the lovely person you want them to be. It doesn't happen like that. Every once in a while, a husband or a wife, they, they get married and, and a husband marries a woman thinking that, well, she's not quite what I want her to be, but give me some time, I'll change her into the woman she ought to be. Or maybe the woman marries a man and she says, well, you know, he's not quite my knight in shining armor, but give me a few years, I'll have him just the way I want him to be. And the truth is, it'll never happen. You don't marry someone to change someone. You marry them because you love them. And your love for one another 
If you're going to change someone, let it be done through love. Especially in these days. Look what it says. Let us provoke one another unto love and to good works. There are some people I like to be around. And sometimes I don't want to be around those people because I know that if I get around those people and I talk to those people, I'm going to feel bad because I'm not loving like I should love and I'm not doing what I should do. That's the kind of person we ought to be. That's the kind of person we ought to be. That anytime somebody comes around us, them, them just being with us makes them want to do more for God. We ought to be the kind of people that as soon as they, people come into our presence, as soon as they spend time with us, they say, oh, I, 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 want to, I want to love like they love. I want to serve like they serve. That's the kind of people we've got to be. Provoking one another. That word provoke means excite. We know what it means in the negative. You get, Get, don't get too excited. We say, calm yourself down. Well, provoke, get someone excited about loving one another. Get someone excited about loving God. Get someone excited about getting up and doing something for him. And it goes on. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. See, there's a connection with being together. Being together ought to exhort, build up, encourage, encourage one another. And look what it says at the end of the verse. So much the more as you see the day approaching. The closer we get to the end of this world, the closer we get to the day of our Lord, the more and more we have to encourage and exhort and edify one another. The more and more we must lift up one another rather than tear down one another. And don't you think Satan knows that? Don't you think Satan understands that we need, especially in these last days, to encourage and edify one another. Don't you think he knows that? And don't you think he's going to do everything to keep God's people scattered and to keep God's people away from one another so that we can't encourage, so that we can't uplift? 1 Thessalonians is a, is a book that speaks about the last days. It's a book that speaks about the return of the Savior. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul writes and says this in verse number 11, Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. Look here, Jesus is coming again. He's coming very soon. And you and I have got to be established when he comes. We've got to be ready and grounded when he comes. And according to Paul's letter to, one, to the Thessalonians, the only way to be established is that we abound and increase in love towards one another. Do you know why he says that? Because he also knows this. 
He also knows that at the same time in the last days, we should be loving more and more uh, one another, loving more, one another more and more so that we might be established because he understands that in the last days, the love of many, instead of abounding and increasing, the love of many shall wax cold. Do you know what's going to be happening? Do you know what is happening right now? Are you listening? Do you know what's happening all around the world? Love is shriveling up. True love for God and humanity is shriveling up. And only a love for self remains. And so God tells us, while love is growing cold in the hearts of humanity, it must burn brighter than ever in our hearts as brothers and sisters. And it must increase. And it must abound. That means overflow. Love for one another must overflow. And again in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse number 11. Wherefore, knowing that the Lord Jesus is coming. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another even as also ye do. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 13. Uh, the, the author of Hebrews writes and says, Exhort one another daily. Exhort one another. That's encourage one another daily. Think about that. Are you doing that? Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you any evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Be careful. Be careful, brethren, Christians. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. If you have an opportunity to bless and encourage and strengthen someone, do it today. I'm thankful in the last several weeks some of our brethren have risen to the occasion. I'm thinking of some in my mind right now. I won't mention their names, but I'm thinking of some. Constantly texting to encourage. Calling. They've risen to the occasion. And they are exhorting one another daily. While it is called today, watch this. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Look here for one second. Do you know what's going to happen if we don't exhort one another daily? We will grow harder and harder and harder to the deceitfulness of sin. And sin will deceive us. The only way to combat the hardness of our hearts is by daily exhortation. Daily love. And if that doesn't happen, the Bible says you will be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. We think it's okay. We excuse our sin. We excuse our behavior. We make excuses. We make allowances. We try to justify our behavior. And all the while, you're growing harder and harder. must strengthen one another. And so Isaiah writes, look, you will one day see the glory of God. 
very soon and the excellency of our God. So in the meantime, strengthen your hands. Don't, don't get weak. Confirm the feeble knees. Encourage the fearful heart. Then, look at verse number five. Then, meaning one day soon, when it finally comes, when something finally breaks, then the scriptures say the eyes of the blind shall be opened. You know, the marvelous thing about the Lord Jesus' healing power is when he healed somebody, he did it immediately. Then shall the eyes of the blind be opened. There's coming a day when God's going to touch you and your eyes will be opened instantaneously and you'll see like you've never seen before. And you'll rejoice. Oh, God, thank you for finally bringing me through this desert. I couldn't see, but now I see. The eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. And that day is coming soon. So don't give up. Let us not grow weary in well-doing. The scriptures say, Galatians chapter 6, let us not be weary in well-doing. Don't get tired of doing good. Don't get tired of doing right. For in due season, at the right time, we shall reap if we faint not. But some of you have fainted. Some of you have given up. And if you give up, if you faint, you're going to miss the harvest. Don't give up. Don't give up. I love what Isaiah writes. In the wilderness shall waters break out. In the most unlikely place, at the most unlikely time, in the streams, in the desert, and the parched ground shall become a pool. And the thirsty lands, springs of water. That place where there was nothing but cracks. The earth was so, your spiritual heart, your spiritual life was so dry and lifeless. There were cracks in it. Not even, not even a hint of moisture at all. In that place shall become a pool. Thirsty land, springs of water. In the habitation of dragons where each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes. And look at verse 8. Watch this. And a highway shall be there. And a way. And it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. But it shall be for those, the wayfaring men. It shall be for us, whose eyes have been opened and ears have been unstopped. It shall be for God's people a path to walk on. In this dry and thirsty land, there is a way to go, a way to walk, a way of holiness. It's a separate way of walking than the rest of the world. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall be for those, the wayfaring men, though fools shall not err therein. The fools will not be allowed. No lion shall be there, praise God. Because we know that Satan, the devil, like a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. But he cannot touch you on the highway of holiness. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. Have you been redeemed? 
Have you been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus? Well, then there's a way for you to go. There's a highway, a way of holiness for you to walk on. God has made that for us. He's given us a path. It's a narrow path, but he's given it for us. And that path, in verse number 10, that path, the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion. That way of holiness leads to where God is. It leads to the place where one day we shall dwell with him and he shall dwell with us. That path on which we are to tread and to walk is a way of holiness, a pathway where only those who know the Lord, the redeemed, shall walk thereon and the ransomed of the Lord shall return. No doubt a beautiful picture and prophecy of Israel, for Israel, but for all of God's people. The ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and, look at this, everlasting joy upon their heads. Meaning, there's coming a time when our joy shall never be taken away. Never. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. That'll be a great day, won't it? The sorrow that you feel in your heart right now shall flee away. The sighing shall be taken away once and for all, gone. Let's walk that way that's been put before us. Let's walk that way of holiness. Jesus said something interesting, didn't he? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way of holiness. Hebrews writes and tells us, the author of Hebrews, that there's a holiness without, without such, without which no man shall see the Lord. That's, in refer, that's referring to that highway of holiness that is named after our Savior, the Lord Jesus. You follow him. He grants unto us a holiness and a sanctification that can't be found anywhere else. Are you walking on that highway today. Maybe you feel as if you've lost your way a little bit. There's a way. There's a highway. And Jesus is his name. All of this will one day pass. All of this will one day be consumed. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return. And come to Zion with songs. And everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness. I'm looking forward to that day. I hope you are. So let's make sure that we are strengthening one another, helping one another until we get to Zion, until that highway leads us home.